For the week of March 28, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On the show this week, we talk with the strangers, Rich Smith, about how our state's leaders reacted and responded or did not respond to the demise of the AHCA and how the Democratic machinery is already beginning to target at least two representatives in the state for 2018. Then we talk with Barbara Key, creator and driving force behind IndivisibleGuideWA.org, a site designed to help coordinate the now nearly 300 indivisible chapters across the state. And we'll have our dose of good news, followed by our weekly call to action. First, though, we welcome writer Rich Smith, who writes about local politics, among other things, for the Seattle Weekly Paper, The Stranger. Hello, Rich. Hello, it's good to be here. So uh, the big story this week, of course, is Trump Care, or uh, maybe it's going to be known now as Ryan Care. Uh, but whatever they're calling it, it will be in the past tense because it is officially dead. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about a couple of items that you wrote about it. The first has to do with a name that we have come to hear quite a bit on this show, 8th District Representative Dave Reichert. Uh, he has managed to get tarnished by the whole Trump Care disaster in a unique way. Uh, tell us about that. Yes, the elusive Dave Reichert didn't manage to get himself out of this pickle. What happened was, you know, he was one of the few congressional Republicans who was sort of forced to take a vote on Trump Care before the bill went to the House um, in his capacity on the Ways and Means Committee. Right. Uh, he and I think 25 other Republicans voted in favor of the bill to pass the bill along. So it could go to another committee. And this was before the CBO gave its score. So these Republicans voted on the bill without knowing how much it was going to cost Americans and how many Americans would lose coverage. And then he stood by his vote even after the CBO score came out, even though he knew that 24 million people stood to lose their coverage, right? Yeah, he said said that, um, you know, you can't. You know, the CBO is not always right. This is going to increase competition, and I'm a you know free market Republican, and and uh, and so I stand by my my vote. And he only began to waver once the Freedom Caucus and Trump and Ryan started just gutting services. Uh, and then he said he didn't know. He didn't say that he would vote against it because they were going to basically destroy the ben- the pre-existing condition benefit. And everything except for, you know, if you're 26, then you could stay on your parents' plan. But he's, yeah, so, but so he still, he only got to an unwavering or a, a, a wavering position. He never fully went, no. Yeah, he didn't even commit pretty much up to the day when it looked like it was going to get forced to a vote. And then, of course, it didn't. Um, did you reach out to Reichert's office on all of this? I, I believe that you wrote that you did. Have, have you heard anything back from them? I, no, you know, I just want his spokesperson to call me back just once, <laughs> just on anything. Yes, I asked what it felt to be one of uh, basically 15 Republicans targeted by the DCC uh, who ended up taking um, a vote on this when all of the other Republicans got a pass, basically, so that they didn't have to go back to their constituents, tens of thousands of whom in some cases rely on Obamacare, and say that they were going, you know, basically willing to take that health care away from their own constituents. Mm-hmm. Dave Reichert now has to go back to, you know, Chelan, Kitty Tass, 
um, King County and um, and Pierce and and explain why he was going to vote for a bill that would have taken their health care. Yeah, I think the count was over 44,000 people in the district would have lost health care under that bill. Uh, and as you mentioned, the DCCC or the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee uh, now has Reichert in their sights as one of 59 vulnerable GOP House seats. Can you just shed a little bit of light on what it means for them to target him in that way? Yeah. So, yeah, the DCCC, that's a better way of putting it. <laughs> it's less of a mouthful. You know? <laughs> yeah. The DC times the DC squared or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, I think it seems to me that their strategy for the 2018 race races is that they are all running against Trump. Uh, so the, they, 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 they target uh, districts uh, or seats where uh, less than 50% of that district voted for Trump or that district voted for Hillary but sent a Republican to the House. Right. Or Obama won that district twice, and yet they still sent a, a Republican to the House. And so um, they're basically going to put all of their resources into the, or a lot of their resources into those races and, um, and hope for the best. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned those numbers because another Washington Republican, Jamie Herrera Bueller of Washington's third, also made the list. Uh, the third went for Trump. 49 to 42, but went for Obama 52 to 46 in 2008. But in 2016, Butler just demolished her opponent, Jim uh, Mueller, uh, 62 to 38. So it makes you kind of wonder what they're thinking is like, really? Maybe they're thinking they can find a stronger opponent than Jim Mueller? Yeah, I I mean— and no offense to Mr. Mueller, but he does. He's a grown man who wears a bow tie and uh, <laughs> all, all like a lot. And it's, it seems to be his thing. And then but but also, um, yeah, I mean, I think that they're they're looking at that 49, you know, that, that less than 50 percent went for Trump number right. and, and, and saying we, we can find those voters who were either kind of hurt by um, Trump care or hurt by uh, some of uh, Herrera Butler's policies. And, uh, and and really go out go for them hurt you know hurt by you know the EO uh, the travel the Muslim tra- travel ban right. uh, and now that Trump has has messed up so much now the Republicans seem to be losing so much and and, and clawing back so many regulations um, they can direct advertisements basically and attack ads more yet there does seem to be a lot of momentum on the Democrat side following the demise of Trump care uh, Pramila Jayapal had some interesting things to say about Trump care she of course is the uh, the House representative from the 7th in Seattle. Uh, she uh, made a statement to the stranger about all of it. Uh, first of all, what did she credit the win to? She credited the win to uh, the everybody who is calling into their congressional representatives and telling them how they think and feel. Um, and almost uh, and then several Democratic leaders pointed to movements like Indivisible and um, and other sort of, you know, uh, grassroots progressive movements uh, who are um, – Engaging in congressional advocacy uh, as a huge factor uh, in in the win, because you know, I mean, if you if you listen to a lot of these Republican senators, a lot of them, or rather, um, House members, a lot of the moderates, 
their argument was, I got a thousand calls today mm-hmm. <laughs> about how my constituents, you know, need rely on Obamacare. I can't vote for this bill. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think a lot of Democrats, including Pramila or you know, Congresswoman Jayapal, they they got thousands of, of calls too, or or, or call at least a thousand uh, right. calls. Some Republicans, she said, uh, you know, were turning off their phones uh, or unplugging their phones because they were getting so many calls about it. So it's it's clear that this kind of thing um, that works. There you go. Resistance works. Uh, yeah. You actually had a very funny quote from her about her thoughts on Trump attempting to blame the Democrats for the demise of the bill. Can you can you quote that? <laughs> she, she laughed. It was a. It was a. It was like a true belly laugh. She That's like it as if she hadn't heard it. It was. It was good. It was good to hear. She was beaming in her, um, in her glory. Well, it's a good week for uh, for Democrats. And so, speaking of the momentum that they may have gained, uh, let's chat briefly about the next big fight that's about to go down, and that's the nomination of Neil Gorsuch to the yeah. Supreme Court. Uh, first, I should mention that uh, Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee have postponed the vote on Gorsuch for a week. So that's happened. Both of our senators, Cantwell and Murray, have been pressured to oppose him. Where do each of them currently stand? Well, uh, Patty Murray is slightly easier. Actually, I mean, Cantwell's easier. Cantwell doesn't know uh, until uh, she talks to him. Uh, I I just got that from uh, her spokes her spokesman this morning. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, she's holding out uh, basically judgment on whether or not she'll filibuster and whether or not she'll vote against him in, in the first place um, until after her meeting with him. She's up for re-election in uh, 2018 and so is clearly tiptoeing around the situation. Maria Cantwell, though, was one of the Democrats who questioned him on the Senate panel, Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's clear that, you know, she wants to be seen asking him tough questions and consider, you know, and and, and considering his nomination a serious way. And, you know, her line is that she takes her responsibility as a senator to give advice to the president about the Supreme Court uh, nomination seriously. And uh, a lot of Democrats who are up for reelection are very wary of taking a hardline position on this because the Republican, moderate Republican constituents who think that, listen, the Supreme you know, the president gets to pick who's on the Supreme Court um, will, you know, might brook uh, any kind of uh, hardline progressive stance that Cantwell or Heidi Heitkamp in, in, in the Dakotas or um, Joe Manchin in West Virginia take. And the idea, the strategy here is that, you know, you let Gorsuch go by and the, that will be one thing that um, these Democratic senators can take back to their their district or their their states and say that they can work with the Republicans on on one thing. Meanwhile, they can resist Trump on 10 other things uh, and maybe and possibly be more effective on on that. But, you know, it's hard to figure out even what those other 10 things, (laughs) whether or not those other 10 things would be more important than a Supreme Court not seat that was stolen by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, and that's going to affect American lives and the uh, the court for the next forty years. Yeah, he's a he's a spry forty nine years old, so he might be around for a while. He looks like a hiker. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like that dude has a cardio routine. 
He's, he's, you think it's a, as serious as Paul Ryan's? Yeah, oh my, absolutely. Yeah. I think they P90X together. <laughs> sort of. Well, so so Patty Murray has said that she will come out uh, against Gorsuch. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said that he will filibuster the nomination. Um, yeah. Have either Cantwell or Murray weighed in on that specifically? Yeah. Murray, Murray says that she'll join. Uh, she's happy to join anyone who plans to exercise their right to filibuster to stop the appointment of Gorsuch. She told me February 3rd um, of this year, anytime anyone asks – uh, now she she kind of stays away from using the F word, but um, says that she'll vote against cloture or that, that you know she'll join a filibuster and she'll and vote no against him against his nomination. So so she seems to be you know a, a hilt if not a spearhead <laughs> against <laughs> against Gorsuch. You know she's she she's not going to be a, an Elizabeth Warren or a, or a Schumer and, and and lead the way, but she'll she'll join. Well, thank you for the update uh, on all of that. We'll check back in with you later, Rich. Thanks, man. Thank you. Time now for this week's call to action. But first, as we are now in the habit of doing, let's have some good news. And yeah, there's been good news. I think we can go ahead and take something of a victory lap on the demise of Trump care. And I would very much like to give a shout out to the work of the many members of the Indivisible Movement. Collectively, we put enormous and absolutely constant pressure on our members of Congress to reject Trump care. And by all accounts, it worked. Both our senators, as well as our representatives statewide, uh, had reported a record number of calls to their office about the issue. Some of them, as Rich just mentioned, had even stopped answering their phones altogether. So for everyone who took action against this bill, either with the Indivisible Movement or otherwise, this is a victory, and it is one that we should absolutely all feel great about. Millions of people will not lose their health care. Actual lives will be saved because of your actions. So this week's call to action is to celebrate. Have a glass of champagne if that's your thing. Go out to dinner. Get together with friends. Enjoy this because it's the first cause for celebration we have had since that dark day of November 8th, 2016. And then rest up because we're going to get back to it shortly enough. I don't think I have to point out that there is a lot more to do. But for now, have fun and enjoy. And that is this week's Call to Action. My guest this week is Barbara Key. She is the creator and driving force behind the website IndivisibleGuideWA.org, which is, as I mentioned on last week's show, our new partner here at the podcast. Uh, I am particularly excited to share my discussion with Barbara because, well, a few reasons. Uh, First, she is actually someone with a ton of political experience, going back to the 1970s when she worked with a political consulting firm in D.C. during the Watergate era. Then in the 80s, she was asked by then President Reagan's daughter, Maureen, to work on a media event for the Reagan administration that benefited female Republican candidates in California. 
And did I mention that Barbara is a Republican? Yeah, she is a self-described Republican feminist. So I began our talk by asking her if she still saw herself that way or if the election had changed that. Well, I still think of myself in those terms of being a moderate, progressive Republican and feminist. And I don't see them as a conflict in terms, but it is certainly one of those things that I feel abandoned by the Republican Party over the last 35 years. Um, more and more so, I began to see it in the mid-80s. And it was only beginning to kind of rear its head in, in a way that they could not grasp how I could be feminist and be Republican. And so I wasn't quite of them being Republicans. And the feminists couldn't quite grasp how I could be a a feminist and be a Republican. Yeah, you were a woman without a country. Yeah. Uh, yes, I had a foot on both sides of the fence, I think is a good way to put it. And it was one of those things that I felt completely at home, right down that middle of the fence in terms of I understand business. I'm business-oriented, um, not corporate. There's a big difference. My, my business drive comes out of small business. Um, and, I, you know, I've been out there. I've marched for the ERA. I've marched for reproductive freedom. And, you know, the whole aspect of the feminist community was very much a, a community that I felt at home in. And when I ended up running for office down the road a ways, I found that I could build a coalition with people based on commonalities, things that we agreed on issue by issue with radical feminist lesbian um, Democrats on one side and born again Christians that were anti-ERA, anti-choice on the other side because I focused on commonalities and not on differences. I thought we were Americans before we were anything else. Well, let me ask you then, because the Republican Party has such a long history and it's changed dramatically uh, since its inception, what are the Republican values that you still identify with? I still am concerned with government getting too big. Um, I I think it's very easy. It's a very, very delicate tipping point of the government being the solution for all the problems. And that doesn't mean that the government can't be the solution to many problems, because I do believe it is. But I do find that the fact that things have been, legislation has been written, people have been concerned about uh, building in and codifying tax advantages and corporate acknowledgement of corporations being persons with uh, religious rights. And and, uh, I mean, it's like, when did a corporation become a person in the Constitution? I never saw that. So I don't, you know, I don't know that the party is where I am now. But I can understand the need for for trying to encourage human um, American stepping up and being responsible for their own lives and not having Big Brother be the solution to everything. But at the same time, I have a real strong sense of compassion and, you know, people's lives happen and they don't always have control over it. Um, If you end up being injured or hurt or um, women, my gosh, women go out and, and invest, you know, lifetimes in 
in marriages that end up going south and end up with nothing. And they ha cannot recover those years. Um, women that find themselves pregnant and the man is like nowhere to be found and they need help because they're mm -hmm. pregnant and they need, you know, those are the kinds of things. It's like, I, I can see both sides of it. And I think that that empathy is something that I've always had and that independence is something I've always had. But I've always wanted people to, as much as possible, humanly possible, be encouraged to be responsible for their own lives. But I'm I'm also com completely committed to providing a hand up when people need it. I actually will want to get into how those values translate into your work now, particularly with the Indivisible group. But I want to track back for a moment. You mentioned running for office. Tell us about that. Well, that was kind of an interesting experience. I had the the opportunity to run for what in California would have been called the County Central Committee, and they had it organized by by county, and that was the Republican Party um, structural operation. And you had to stand. You had to go through the the same process anybody running for any office has to do. You you have to go out and get your petition signed, and you have to submit it, and your name shows up on the ballot, and you stand for election, just as though anyone running for office was would do. So I did that. I did it twice. I was elected twice. Um, it was a two-year term, both times. And after those four years, um, I stepped up and ran for state assembly, which would be the equivalent of the Washington House of, of, of Representatives here. And I ran for that, did not get elected, but I have, I have run for office on both party and state apparatus. And it I think being a candidate and having gone through that process, it taught me a great deal about the, the process, the procedure, that if you have never done it, you don't appreciate what it takes to do it. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's one of those things that you kind of go, I could never do that. Well, yeah, you can, but you have to go out and do it and make mistakes. And what it did do, though, uh, was that it gave me the opportunity to form a nonprofit statewide organization in California that was set up to teach women about about the political and governmental processes and how to get involved. And this was something that we received written commendations from uh, the president, the governor, because we were working very specifically trying to teach women about how to just start funneling into that process. And here I am, you know, again, doing this and going, this is part of what has to be the indivisible effort long term is we've got to right. funnel people into this process and into this system so that we can actually affect change. Yeah. And so, well, let's go ahead and jump in and talk about that because, you know, given your background, you have a ton of experience. You uh, bring a formidable skill set to what you're doing. And uh, what was, first of all, what, what was it that got you interested in taking that skill set and applying it to the indivisible movement? Um an election? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one that, that's the one answer we all have in common uh, is that the the election was was a wake up call for so many people and got so many people involved, many for the first time. But you are an old political hand, and so yeah. I guess I'm curious to know what 
specifically was beyond the the election, what made you then decide to get involved at the level that you're getting involved and to bring your skill set to the Indivisible movement? Well, you know, it's one of those things that I'm older, I'm retired, um, I, I have a spinal cord injury, so physically I have some limitations as to what I can do. But I know all these things, and I thought I was done with politics in my lifetime, except to be a good citizen. Mm. And I saw this election. I, I mean, as, as much as I wanted so badly to see Hillary, the first woman president in my lifetime, that was not part of what my, my pleasure was to be. So when Trump was elected, I knew that it was not even a question. It had to happen. I had to get involved. I had to step up and try to help teach people, the new people that had never been involved politically. And I know how many there are out there. Um, I needed to do anything and everything I could to help facilitate that. And I liked the way Indivisible approached the issue of it didn't matter what your party registration was. They just didn't care if you agreed on the issues and you wanted to work against Trump's agenda, which I did. And if you have something you think you can contribute, which I did, then I, I could not see myself not stepping up in whatever capacity I was able to physically. And it was one of those things that it was not a hard decision. It was more just a matter of starting the process of reaching out and saying, I'm willing to do this for a decade. And if I can continue at that point, I will. But I'm willing to dedicate this decade to doing it and bringing as many people along for the adventure as I can bring. And fortunately, I've met incredible people. And there's an awful lot of folks out there that are just as equally committed. And I think that's the part that it gets me up every day to go again. And it sends me to bed at the end of the night knowing I've worked hard that day to accomplish what I set out to accomplish. And that is to stop Trump as much as I know how and to build a future for the kids that are growing up today and the the younger generations that are, are just inheriting something horrible that I'm embarrassed to admit is part of America. Yeah. Uh, you work incredibly long hours. Uh, when we first met, you said, I'm available seven days a week, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., which is extraordinary, uh, especially given the fact that you say you have a, a spinal cord injury. Uh, how do you maintain your energy and how do you maintain those hours? Fortunately, I am exceptionally lucky in that the people that work closest to me, I, I share the, the injury. It was an auto accident. And I end up setting pretty strong um, boundaries for what I can do and what I can't do. The telephone, the computer, I'm sitting in my living room, my cat's next to me, I can do this, you know, for a good many hours in a day. Um, I've been recently been making the trip to Seattle probably once a week or so um, from Anacortes, and it exhausts me. Um, it takes me about 15 units of energy to do now what used to take me one unit of energy. So mm. it, this comes at a high price for me personally, but I don't know any other way to do it, and I can't not do it. it, it it's, it's not even a choice. Let's go ahead and talk about the website that you uh, have created and are continuing to create. It is indivisibleguidewa.org. What was the inspiration specifically to take the skill set that you have and create a website around it? 
Well, and let me give credit where credit is due. Uh, I am not the, cr- the the creator per se. I may be the momentum, but the creator is a young man named Chris Benson who is working with um, IGWA, which is Indivisible Guide Washington or WA.org. A lot less syllables involved when you call it IGWA, so that's good. I, yeah. IGWA is so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> But but Chris is really the 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 brains and the and the artistic imp- explanation of what we're trying to do. I'm more the administrative and organizational outreach end of it. But the purpose of it is really to be a resource and to be a central clearinghouse um, of information and linkages for these local groups of indivisible across the state, of which now we're approaching 300. Um, and and still growing. The doggone things are like little rabbits. They keep popping up all over the place, and I love it, except that I have to try and keep up with it, (laughs) and that can be a challenge. But the the goal is to try and, and, I mean, your podcasts are now housed there. Um, We've just added a, and it's kind of exciting because it's all happened within the last week. We've just added a statewide calendar that local groups can now go in and add events, not meetings, but events that are happening, um, action events that are happening that their their local groups are participating in. And those are actually broken out by uh, congressional districts or CDs so that if you want to go and attend one, you can actually search within a CD, like I'm in CD2. So mm-hmm. if you do a CD2, um, you can actually go in and find out what's happened. And we're just starting to uh, email broadcast this information to local groups across the state. And we're adding those events just about as fast as they're coming in. So this is a this is a an incredible resource I've heard of for since January 1st when I started getting involved people saying we don't have we don't know what's going on so that central ability of local groups to be able to put that information up on the website be able to uh, input it be able to search on it for groups that they can work collaboratively with right, right. Um, is really important and the website is really one of two major tools that that IGWA will be using to um, communicate with and be able to work with local groups around the state and for local groups around the state to work with one another and connect. And it's they're both baby efforts. The other one is a Slack site that we are in the process of, of reorganizing. We've, we've just uh, taken uh, ownership of and we are reorganizing so that it more closely reflects the the way indivisible has evolved across the state organically right so that it allows people to interface more along the lines of how they already operate at their local levels with other groups so if you are in a CD like CD2 and CD2 is getting all all kinds of airtime today just because I live here um it's one of those things of CD2 people that are up in Bellingham can talk to CD2 people down in Everett right. in, an, in a channel that's set up specifically in Slack or will be set up uh, early next week to be able to talk to CD2 people anywhere in the in this congressional district. Which is great. And it's an, it's a great way for people to join forces and really not duplicate and overlap uh, in efforts that could probably be more uh, effectively spent collectively, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and in addition to that, 
we're building in some issue-oriented uh, channels within Slack that people who are interested in the environment and, mm. and climate control can talk to, if your group isn't large enough to have a full-blown committee on that, you can connect with other people in the Washington greater umbrella that are interested in issues like environment that, you know, you don't have to have a full-blown committee. You can just join a bigger group. And so you can plug in and out of your local group with the state. So it's kind of like you you can be in many places at once, but it's a vehicle by which people can talk to one another and can right. connect and can share information and share passions and can help research items, help create this you know, the, the action plans that are evolving, that's one of the things we're working on now is trying to provide action plans and issue research and just tying all these loose ends together that really function at a statewide level with the thought in mind of not just being defensive, but going on the offense in 2018 and 20 and 22 yeah, you're really thinking long term. I mean, as you said, it's you're, you're you're committing, you're ready to commit a decade of your life to this, which is a pretty pretty remarkable commitment. Um, I and I do want to talk about some of the momentum that is building right now, particularly on the day that we are recording this, which is Friday, March twenty fourth, and that's the day the uh, AHCA went down. But I, yeah, I know it's I, we, we, we were uh, we're all breathing deeply. We are. We're wearing party hats on this end as well. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of talk about your personal interfacing because I think your personality and uh, you know the kind of person that you are, you talk about coming down to Seattle on a, a weekly basis. And then on the phone, you talk and interface with leaders from a lot of these various groups. And so in many ways, you yourself are acting as a conduit to kind of, in, in some way, sort of glue the whole movement together, ideally, right? Well, I hope I'm building bridges and connections. And you know, those will be here long after I go away and can't do this any longer. But I think I know how those bridges and those those connections need to be put together. I, I, I kind of, I'm willing, I'm able to put the work in, the time in that's required. I get to meet all these really cool people across the state that are just, I mean, fascinating people. And you start talking about what their backgrounds are and what brought them to Indivisible and why they want to do it right. and what they want to give. And to me, this is like playing multidimensional chess. And <laughs> I think, I mean, I can sit in my living room and do this and I couldn't do it physically if I had to go out and do it. Well, technology makes it a brave new world, right? I mean, I, I certainly couldn't do the podcast at the level that I'm doing it either, speaking to people from all over the state uh, without having, you know, the Skype technology that I use. And so, yeah, I think we're all really benefiting from the fact that the, the Internet brings us together in very, very meaningful ways. I don't think the Indivisible movement could have existed without the Internet. So It would have been so much harder. And it re don't you find that you meet the most interesting people, indivisible people, Indivisibles, I call them, are <laughs> fascinating. I mean, they're like people, if I had a choice, I would want to meet. Not just that I'm being forced to meet them because of Trump. They're the kind of people I would like to meet. And, and there's the silver lining to all of yes. this. And, and yes. you and I spoke about this, and I just kind of wanted to highlight that. Uh, that when, when we were talking the other day, you had said that Trump's election had done two things uh, that were positive, and one of which was 
to, and I want you to use the words in case I get them wrong, but it was essentially bringing out your, your highest and best self. I think it does for all of us. I think I watch people and I learn, um, the young man I was, I was saying, uh, work, I work with on the website, Chris, Chris is an awesome communicator and I watch him be empathetic and be understanding. And I listen to him and I think I need to be more like Chris when I grow. <laughs> and I, I see that every time I speak to somebody that's involved with Indivisible, I see qualities in the people that are what I want to be when I grow up. Mm. And I'm just, I'm inspired. And it's like, well, that's certainly a silver lining that I would never have thought of with Trump's election. But it's it's a gift. And yeah. it's it's a gift that's making us all step up and claim our inheritance as Americans yeah. in a way that maybe just another election wouldn't. We've had to actually, we're going to have to fight for what we value. And that stepping up process is, it's going to linger long after we're all gone, into well into the future generations. Well, I think that is a great and very inspiring place to leave it. So, uh, Barbara Key, thank you so much for for being on the pod. And here's to our new partnership. Absolutely. We are looking forward to it. We are delighted to be working with you, Stefan. And likewise. And that will do it for this week's Washington State Indivisible podcast. I thank you all so much for listening. Do head on over to IndivisibleGuideWA.org. I do think that Barbara just detailed why the site is such a great resource for the Indivisible movement. Uh, But do check it out for yourself. And, of course, you will now find this show there. Please do continue to get in touch. I am so loving all the feedback, you guys. Oh, and hey, we got a shout-out from New Hampshire, believe it or not. Thank you for the great suggestions, Peter. We're going to get right on those, actually. And uh, if you would like to get in touch, the email address is WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Again, it is WashingtonIndivisiblePod.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of... Of Get Creative Inc. Thank you again to Rich Smith and thank you to Barbara Key. And thanks to you as always for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.